Hello and welcome to this very special edition to the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Jeremy Fisk, and as always, I am joined by Lee Carlo and Chapin Hemingway. Uh, today, we are going to review the 2000 film Almost Famous as part of our uh, rewatches of the best of 2000s. Um, and then we're going to top it all off with, oh, this, this is going to be fun. In honor of the NFL draft, we're going to draft our, basically, our, our team of five coming-of-age films. So basically, we're going to act like it's uh, the, like a sports draft where we each take um, a movie one at a time, and we'll come up with our best team. And then the Instagram voters get to tell us who has the best coming-of-age Team of five. Hello. This is the music editor at Rolling Stone magazine. This is William Miller. Yes, it is. I think you should be writing for us. From Cameron Crowe, writer-director of Jerry Maguire. If you're going to be a true journalist, you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Just make us look cool. God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. Don't take drugs! They're going to fly you places for free. It's Bowie! You're going to meet girls. We are not groupies. We don't have intercourse with these guys. Just blowjobs, and that's it. Amen! On the road with the band. Your mom calls! Rock stars have kidnapped my son. Spirits run high. There's acid in the beer that's in the red cups. How do you know when it's kicked in? I am a golden god! Innocence runs wild. Let's deflower the kid. We need this story in four days. Your time has come. And there's more to write home about. Can I speak with William, please? Is this Marianne with the pot? Then the music. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. So Lee, so Chapin, what do you love about movies? Now, it, obviously, he's been waiting two weeks to ask that question. God, I was hoping to begin with better. everything. That's a uh, very huge and simplistic question. As I sit here and ask it to you, just as uh, 15-year-old William Miller asked it to Russell Hammond. Uh, but to me, it gets to the core of what Almost Famous is as a, mov- uh, as a movie and maybe how best we should tackle it as a review. Because essentially, that's what the movie is. Uh, it's a love or an appreciation for for doing uh, for something during a time in your life where you're most vulnerable to discovering that thing. For William, it was music during the sort of, as Lester Banks put, uh, calls it, the death rattle or the last gasp of rock and roll. Uh, but for us, one of those things is movies. In uh, this movie, at least to me, is always, as Penny Lane says, visiting old friends so i ask you guys again what is it you love about movies and does almost famous bring you closer to that original love or are we at the point now as bitter old rock critics that this movie 
with its flaws, if you find it has some, has distracted you from sort of its core message and what we used to really appreciate about this film and Cameron Crowe as a director. Lee, you can go first. Um, I mentioned something along these lines a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I, I, um, it was the wine episode that we did when I was sort of comparing why I was drawn to both wine and movies. And, and I think why I love movies and why I continue to and why that that love continues to grow is that I just think it's so fascinating that you can watch something on the simplest level, you know, have it on in the background and enjoy it and then watch that exact same thing more intensely and enjoy it for the same reason, but then for entirely different reasons. And then, you know, to tie it back to wine, to borrow a line from Sideways, uh, you know, Virginia Madsen talks about a bottle of wine, how you can taste it one day and it will taste totally different than if you taste it on any other day ever in its history. And movies are similar to that. You can watch a movie one day and you can watch it again another day and it can be totally different and you find new things and that's always what separates good movies from bad movies and I think that's something that we really understand and that the average audience member maybe doesn't is that you know a layered movie isn't just about finding you know the the wonders or finding the you know the intricacies of what the director has done but it's about finding the layers in the themes or finding the layers in the comedy and I just think being able to do that and being able to rewatch your favorite movies over and over again is like they say in the movie. It's like visiting old friends, but it's learning something new about them every single time. Great answer. Chapin. I think that's a really good answer, too. I, for me, maybe sort of focusing this a little bit more on Almost Famous, I think uh, uh, what I love about movies is their ability to transport you to a different time or place or understanding um, and that literally happens in Almost Famous, but also you just get a you get a better sense of you know a time period that I think is um, sort of um, it, it's sort of the the seventies in in rock and roll specifically are immortalized by the music, and we think about these times and we remember them, and I think they're very important to a lot of people. Um, pretty important to me, but um, it's a time period that I think is very, like I said, immortalized. And I think seeing it in this film um, really just takes you to that place. And I think the best films that transport you also provide some kind of, they reveal some kind of truth about the human experience. Um, Well, let's, yeah, yeah, those are great answers. And, um, we can start getting into more of the nitty-gritty of it. And, and Chapin, you sort of touched on one thing I want to bring up about Cameron Crowe. Because we've had, since Almost Famous, and this was now 20 years ago, you know, we've had our issues with Cameron Crowe. And we can get into that. But sticking with Almost Famous, like, his understanding of his world and his characters and being able to translate that onto screen is what his is where his gift lies i think because he he you know he obviously famously sort of experienced that he william miller's a surrogate character for uh cameron crow as he once was a teenage uh writer for rolling stones and 
as much as you you can say whatever you want of William Miller and Patrick Fugit as an actor, but who he is and his sort of demeanor and the way that we see things through his eyes is is special in this movie and it's one of the reasons that this movie is so rewatchable and again it's one of the reasons that this movie is like visiting with old friends because you get to experience the the joy of it through him over and over again and that's a, that's a credit to Cameron Crowe and you can say that also like about his better movies like you know, say anything too. Uh, it's just like he understands the world and his characters, and he portrays it to his audience um, really well. Yeah, I think that's that last bit you said sums it up nicely. I mean, understanding the world, yes, but and that's. I, I feel like you could insert this these characters in this movie to a certain extent into any world. It works really nicely in the 70s rock and roll world, but I think you could insert it into another storyline. But really, he understands his characters, and I think that's the most important part of this movie is everybody is so, for the most part, is so fully fleshed out and and developed that I think it lends so much to the relationships that, as an audience member, you have with each one of them, including William Miller. And you mentioned it, Jeremy. Like, we can have the conversation about Patrick Fugit as an actor. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, is he good? Is he good in this movie? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I, he is a great actor, but he no, works but he's perfectly so perfectly well. in this role because of Cameron Crowe's understanding of that character and the awkwardness and how out of place he is in this world. But he loves it so much, and you can see it on his face. Uh, I think that's a perfect example. And then the flip side of that is is someone like Lester Bangs who who understands the world and is a part of the world so much that it's just beaten him down over the years until he's become this sort of lonely, cynical person that still loves and admires that world so much, just like William Miller does. So, again, it's an understanding of the characters, It's and it's done just so masterfully, I think, in this movie. And there's a lot... Not a lot. There are, a lot, there are some things in this movie that, to me, just don't work, and we'll get into them, but it doesn't matter because of what you said, understanding his characters and putting them in this, pl- in this place. And those characters so fleshed out and right. sympathetic. I mean, there's something to be said for having such realistic, sympathetic characters and not necessarily having a lot of, um, I don't want to say edge, but like, you know, parts of them that are unlikable. <clears throat> um, it, even even the unlikable characters can be likable in this They're movie. real, man. You're real. This chair is real. And it's very quotable. <laughs> what else you got, Chapin? Any Me? more thoughts? Yeah. Oh, I have lots of thoughts. Let's hear them. Well, I, you're I, the one. Okay, but before you do it, you're actually the one I'm most curious about with this movie because I know how Jeremy has always felt about it, and I think you've always liked it. But I also know as much as we all hate Elizabeth Town, I think you maybe are the one Colleague that has by that. then yeah, like you've the you're the one that's like gone back and hated all of the Cameron Crowe movies that you once liked because yeah, of Elizabeth Town. Yeah, I mean Town. there's the there's the Cameron Crowe <laughs> syndrome or effect, I should call it <laughs> yeah. the Cameron Crowe effect, which is you you go back and you real you you watch an artist. You know, I was thinking about a great metaphor for this, and it's like 
I don't know what this is like, but I imagine that I and I excuse me for gendering this particular metaphor, but I imagine uh, a slick, you know, handsome uh, ladies man in a bar and he woos women by, you know, talking slick and promising things, etc. Exactly like you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> like right now. And they go back and they spend the night together and, you know, it's good. But the next day, the next time they meet at the bar, it's the same thing. It's the same shit. And it's, you know, the curtain has been pulled back a little bit on it. Um, And for me, like, Cameron Crowe hasn't made... I I think this is probably my favorite of his movies. Um, And he's made some really horrible movies since this film. Um, that have been much like we talked about with Richard Curtis, kind of telling the same story, um, which is fine. I think there's a lot of filmmakers that do that. Woody Allen comes to mind, um, but he just does it. But he, these these movies, some of these movies are so bad that it starts to make you rethink a movie like Almost Famous or a movie like Jerry Maguire, where he's using these same tactics, you know, seducing you with the same lines. And making you feel cheap for having fallen for them to begin with. Um, and So and is that where you stand on Almost no, Famous? No, that's not where I stand on Almost Famous. I think I think what separates Almost Famous is that realism, is the, is the sort of authenticity of his actual experience. Um, this is something that actually happened to him. It's an incredible story. And I was thinking about like, is there any of our have any of us lived an experience that would be worthy of making a movie? And I think the answer is no. I don't. I don't want to speak for you guys, but this is such a such a powerful um, I mean, experience guys, that he turn had. The, turn the cameras off. We're not going to do this anymore. <laughs> it's such a powerful experience that he had, um, and 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 he. You know, this is this is sort of his blank check movie because he got to make it after the enormous success of Jerry Maguire. But then, you know, he went back and every time I think with Elizabeth town and then I told you guys, I watched Aloha in preparation for this movie. These are like higher concept films and the high concept just doesn't work. It just doesn't, you know, it's, it's telling the same story, but kind of this entry point or these weird kind of moments. And he can't, he can't, seem to um, oh i think he steps out of his own world and tries to go into another world that and he's fails. Just not comfortable and, and in. fails yeah. fails well because um, if you take if there's no autobiographical nature to almost famous it's it's just as high concept as any of those other movies like, but i gotta be honest you think about guys, a 15 year old writing for rolling stone magazine going on the road not paying for anything like seems like a sort of a totally ridiculous, ridiculous plot and it says right. a lot of it, the the reality of that happening says a lot about the time. What I will right. say though is that the the part that I think is not true, like the most fabricated element of almost famous, is the is the element that worked the least for me this time and stood out the most on this particular rewatch, which is the Penny Lane romance. I See, thought that's what you were going to say, but that's wrong, I, man. I, as wrong. She, I, I couldn't believe how I thought I, I came into thinking, well, maybe I was wrong about that because maybe she isn't that good because she's never been she's good a, again. No. Newsflash. She is she's amazing. Not that good. 
No, no, no she is. Is, this is the best perf- in- this is the best performance from somebody who's never been good again in the history yes. of okay, cinema. Okay, that's that's fine. That's fine. I mean, it's a low but bar. But she's also it's not only her best performance, it's a great performance. I no, argue I, to say I, it I, is I, a great performance. I, I disagree with that, but I'm not going to I don't it's I'm not I don't want to argue with you guys about that. It's not I don't think that's not my problem with it. It's not whether it's a good or bad performance cuz it's not a very good performance. But, but you see but here's it, the thing with the love story. It's just like with the music. Can, why why she, the whole thing goes back to her and her flighty, like, uh, that character is horrible. No, she no, just that's not teases true. him she's, the she's whole an movie ideal. long, she's, and she, she sleeps with rock him. music to him. She's the same thing. As much oh. as he wants to fall in love with these bands and rock and roll music, it's an ideal that he's trying to grasp. And what, she, what is she? What is she? What does she do? What do, what do you mean? She's like, what are you trying music. to get? At? All she did was love their band. <laughs> no, I, what I like about that is it's not just that she's an ideal. It's that he he gets he gets swept up in this world. And exactly. She is she is part of the reason. She is just in in many ways she is as phony as the rest of the the rock and roll scene is. She's worse. And he gets maybe that's true. That's fine. But he gets wrapped up. In that, I mean, look, the, the relationship turns a little rapey at one point. Yeah, that that but, scene, I don't ever remember it being weird until. Yeah, this there's time actually around. a couple of rapey scenes in this movie, but that but aside, music being played over. Exactly, when you're hearing Chicago in the background, it's it's actually romantic. <laughs> um, no, my but the point is that he falls in love with with this world that he is as he envisions it it's the whole theme of you made friends with him that that lester bangs explains to him because it made him feel cool like everything is a is a a metaphor for the world that he sees and i think she is the peak of that and it's proof of that is that even russell hammond falls for the same thing she she is not she what she if she is She's not a really particularly interesting person, but Russell Hammond falls for this this phony rock and roll world too. And he and as a result falls for her. Like if anything, she's just simply a metaphor. But I think it works really nicely. Yeah, and, and it's like it's hard for me to grasp the idea that somebody doesn't see the allure of her. Because that's what she represents is that allure. And she commands the screen so well in this movie, Chapin. I don't, she's a manic pixie that, dream girl. She's just like every one of those other. Yeah, but she's one of the originals. What was sure. before her? No, she's she's probably the original. But okay, and then that's fine. Like just because manic pixie dream girl became cliche doesn't make it a bad performance. I just think that okay, scene it's a where fine that scene, but maybe, like the, the but the what, the functionality of the performance is what I have a problem with. It may be good, but. You know, good by accident. Uh, 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 you know, uh, okay, a broken so clock want... is wrong twice a day. Okay, Look, nobody, fine. I, nobody I watching this. Yeah, nobody watching this movie was ever like, "Hey, I think those two will would make a perfect couple." Yeah, this isn't and settle Timothy down Chalamet and Sarah Sharon and, and have kids. <laughs> you know, that's never been the point of that. It's it's it, it's about like Williams sort of desire for this freedom this and I, the broken clock is right twice a day is fine chapin i mean kristen stewart is good in adventureland ben affleck is good in gone girl like 
she does. She's clearly proven that she's not a good actress. Okay, I, we I have. We I'm have, not interested but she in is arguing. Very, that very with good you. in this. I, movie. I don't care if she's good or not. But the, I mean, she is good at, at annoying me in her character, and I think. <laughs> well, that that's he, gonna he, really hurt this movie for you. The because whole that's a huge aspect of this, of this thing is he's he's there. He's seeing the band for the real time. He's interested in the music. I get how she fits into that, but making it all about the romance is so It doesn't, wrong. though. It's so no, no, wrong. No, no. Okay. And we I talked about this on the Quick Fix, the and I don't want to get too much into it, but the but the movie that I remember from Untitled, the, 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 the director's cut DVD that we talk about on the Quick Fix tomorrow... <laughs> Um, is not is more about the band and how the band gets along and 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 music and it's not about her. I don't think she teaches him anything about music. She just has these like weird little moments that I will admit are better done than the awful version of this that uh, Kirsten Dunst plays in in uh, Elizabethtown. But like, uh, oh. where I will agree with you here, Chapin, where the Penny Lane storyline starts to take a little dip for me is basically the the plane ride where they think they're going to crash to the end of this movie where where William proclaims to the band that he loves her and then at the end Russell Hammond you know says I think we both wanted to be with her like I'm not sure I totally bought that they were both truly in love with her I think they both thought that they were. They were in love with the idea of her and what she represented, and that's fine. But the movie does take a little bit of a Cameron Crowe love story turn at one point, and I'm not sure I totally bought that. I but don't think... I, after that, I, other than that, I'm with Jeremy 100%. I love the scenes with her. I love how he, she and Patrick Fugit, what they represent, what their relationship represents. I think it's a pivotal part of this movie. Look, if Fugit came to her house at the end and and said you complete me and she stayed with them <laughs> then it would be a Cameron Crowe love story but they are never meant to be together they they Cameron Crowe just Cameron Crowe just basically wanted her um to represent something and which was what like I, I, I said, said before, that already yeah we've already explained this um the well, ephemeral listen, listen, quality and, and I also of love? don't think I also what, don't think of music? what you're what you're saying is that it is about her. It is still all all about the music. She's about the music. So ultimately, it it isn't about a love story. That's sort of in the background of this movie a bit. It but doesn't take it over. Ends. It doesn't that how it, That's how it ends with her with that with with that scene that seems with largely constructed talking about music. Largely constructed on AD, in ADR with her calling and not talking to him on the phone. But he's putting the but but yeah. She says, "Do you got a pen?" No, I don't think she does. But I think yeah, her, she, her. How does she get the address? Yeah, she does. She says, "You got a pen," and she okay, gives him yeah. William. She gives him With William's the phone address. Blocking her, her her mouth. Well, that that's what's bothering you. Let's <laughs> just say it, it. Just I don't. That ADR like the, is what's <laughs> bothering you. Um. All right. Can, all let's right. move on from this. I, I'm I, I'm glad. That that we have something to disagree with here on this. If movie. you gave me um, Philip Seymour, if you said I'll, if you gave me one more Philip Seymour Hoffman scene, I would trade you all of Penny Lane for that. I might. Okay, I might too. I mean, he's so good in yeah, this movie. He's amazing, and I love but I everything trade he does. All of it. I, 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 I it I'm hyperbolize. I'm hyperbolizing, but to emphasize how much I love the character of Lester Banks and how much I love Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of great performances. Is his the best in yes. this movie? Yes. 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 I mean, Frances McDormand's really great too. But she's in it too much. She's like a she like basically bookends every scene. If you notice, they always every time they finish a finish a concert or finish or leave for another city, they they cut back to a phone call with her almost to like keep moving you through how far along he how long he's been gone and I th- I thought that was excessive. Yeah, I think I, 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 on their own, I think that Frances McDormand and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's characters are like kind of the best written. But I agree. I think you don't need that much of the mother. Um, but I love that she's part of this. I do too. Like I do too. You could have made like this movie without her. Like it, it's these little touches that are so great about this movie. You also understand um, like why William is the way he is because his mother is such a unique person, and I think ultimately a pretty good mom. You know, like despite being well, kind of. Can hovering. that lead us into the first twelve minutes of this movie? Sure. Yeah, which is do much think- longer in the untitled. Okay, I have always thought that this movie would be just fine and most likely even better without those first 12 minutes of younger William begin this movie right after he puts on the record it spins and he is at his high school with his well you know the whole idea the whole idea of it in the and I kind of agree with you but the I think why he wrote that in there and, and shot it was for those moments of getting the record from the sister um, and discovering cut, music. Cut Zoe Deschanel out of this movie too. Another, I mean, right? But somebody still got. He's still got to discover the mu- the love for the music and those records. That's but, what the whole thing is. But see, I don't know that he does. We lo- we know that he his first conversation with Lester Bangs. With, with I think that. we know. It's impossible to know because we've se- yeah. we've seen the whole movie. But I feel like I don't know the the nonsense about you know celebrating christmas early so it wouldn't be commercialized not that like it's just it just seems like such a weird start to this movie and and everything yeah, after I mean, it i love and i just feel like the beginning 12 minutes doesn't make sense i don't get it it doesn't bother me and it never has and it didn't bother me on uh this time around but i do understand what you're saying with that because it like the part where he he skips grades and he's eleven. Yeah, why? Like all that stuff, it doesn't add enough to totally warrant it being there. I mean, it all gets brought up sort of in the end, but is it enough? Does I it don't the, know. Him being younger, why? Why? He, I don't. Because I never he's fifteen that. year old. That he's fifteen years old, and he's. I think that's why he's advanced at, at being able to write. And gotcha. Okay. Um, but anyhow, <laughs> I don't think it deters from the film it's amazing that it doesn't for me like i i'm perfectly fine to sit through those 12 minutes because i know what's coming after it um but it's just weird like zoe deschanel's yells feck you the age thing the christmas bit like it's just such a weird 12 minutes it feels like it's a different movie the only consistency is Frances mcdormand i mean she's the same later in the movie yeah i i I get what you're saying but I want. I, if I had a choice to change it, I probably wouldn't. Interesting. But that could just be my, you know, uh, the, just my experience of it is part. It's part of my experience of it. So uh, are we? Chapin certainly not. But are we being too easy on this movie because we have such a fondness for it? Um, 
What are I your don't know. issues I mean, with there's, it, Jeremy? There's, there's other stuff I want to talk about with this movie, Let's especially it. when it comes to the music um, and its incorporation into the film. Sort of like... It it's, reminds me of how great a perfect piece of music with an image can be in the sort of what to me is quintessentially cinema. If you can take a pop song and you can take a scene and you can blend it together in the way that he does over and over and over again in this movie, it's great. I mean, if you could do that once in a movie, I think it's special. And I think all the great directors that we've come to know, and I'm not calling Cameron Crowe great, I'm just saying all these great directors between Scorsese and Tarantino and Anderson, they they can do that over and over again in all their movies. And, but he just somehow manages to find the right piece of music for the right time well, always and, in this. Yeah, and I think there's a way to define that for people if you're kind of struggling to understand what we mean. And at least this is how I define it, is if the, if the picture you have in your head when you hear a song moving forward is a scene from that movie then that means it worked. Like, when I hear Mona Lisa's in Mad Hatter's, I picture yeah. Patrick Fugit falling in the hotel hallway. Right. Or him running, looking running, in all the taxi cabs on the in New York, New York yeah. City. Like, that's, I've been, that's I've what been I singing that song for the last five days. And yeah, I'm sure it's, it's driving Kitty crazy. No, I think I think you're totally right, Jeremy. It's something I remember you always saying, like, back in our film school days. It's, it's a shame because he does it. He really fucks that up later in his career. But this movie is not the exception. I think the real problem... Is that Stillwater isn't very good? The music that they <laughs> made isn't very good. That's and a big think, problem. And so you've got I, like Elton John, you know, one of the greatest recording artists of all time, playing it, and they they, they go on and, and then all of a sudden, Fever Dog, which is just a, a horrific <laughs> song. Like what? Um, uh, yeah, they they sort of play that down a little bit, and there, there's never a point where Stillwater has to be playing for a scene, you know? Right. Um, other than even, the one even time when where, they decide to sing, they just they sing an Elton John song. <laughs> yeah, when Lester calls them and. He's oh yeah, and he's like, "What are you listening to?" I think, I think that, that, but but your point is 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 smart, Jeremy. I think like that the tiny dancer scene, for example, which I think is what a lot of people remember from this movie, could so easily become trite and kind of um, you know a little too saccharine. It is ruined by you are home. It actually is. Let's but. let's let's ignore that for a second. But that moment is great. It's like this is. You know, this comes at a time when the band is struggling, and they're having some infighting, and this song brings them together in a in a in a dialogueless, for the most part, scene. And you see how music can bring people together, and it's an important part, and it's placed perfectly in the movie. And I think that that's why, like a lot of people, um, I think this movie became a very important movie for people our age in, in college. You know, it came out in two thousand, and we went to college two or three years later and so this was a this was a movie that that really responded to people of that age because you know you're kind of discovering yourself and music is a part of that and um so i see exploring yourself (laughs) in asia uh but and 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 i mean no one knows that better than cameron crowe does um but i you know i well to piggyback onto your point chapin yeah um, please I think doing when I say like you know a piece of music in a 
in an image or a scene put together correctly is so powerful. People go, yeah, you know, whatever. That's like what they do. They put music to to movies. That's how it works. But if you do it poorly, it's so it can be so bad. Every yeah, just, every just, just watch another Cameron Crowe movie and you'll or know any, that like, done uh, very uh, badly. Like any CW TV show or like the Grey's Anatomies of the world, where the song right. is just constantly playing through the whole last twenty minutes of the episode. <laughs> While like the camera moves. Yeah, while the camera moves around the scene. And, and they like, patrols just Yeah, it's, it's just terrible. And I'm like, what does this... I, I, I overhear it in the background. Lydia's watching it. And I'm like, yeah, what is and, going on in this scene? And it, okay. can, it can really hurt it. And it, it's, it's a skill. It's a skill that I think you have to be at the top of the game or only the best can really do. And he is here. Yeah, I mean Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean Scorsese may be the best. Yeah, he's the he's the ever greatest. at it. Um, you know, you think I to me like the most glaring example is is the Christmas music, which yeah. you'd think would make you think of Christmas, but no, it makes me think of the Lufthansa heist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, in oh, Goodfellas, and, or if I hear Layla, I'm right. Shoot exactly. People in their car. Yeah. So guys, let's. I want to let's get down to brass tacks. Is Cameron Crowe a good director? I don't know if he is anymore. I mean, what's the last? Let's let me look here. What's the last movie? Aloha, he- Aloha, Aloha. The okay. one I which just you've watched. seen, Chapin? yes. And I'll say like it's. I mean, I also watched uh, <laughs> parts of Elizabethtown, which are available, which is available on you know Amazon Prime if you want to take this recommendation. And and that movie is just such a mess. I mean, such a disaster. We've talked Aloha, about it on the podcast how that was one of our more famous movie-going experiences. Absolutely, uh, Aloha is a problematic movie. It's got some issues, but it's nowhere near the disaster that Elizabeth Town is, in my opinion. Um, it's just it's uh, there's this just con- confounding plot in Aloha, but there's he's good at those moments. He's good at like the. He's good at like the, the connect the, the moments when people connect, you know, yeah, like and that's what works in Jerry Maguire to some it's extent. Works in Jerry Maguire. I think it's what you guys identified with Penny Lane and Almost Famous, and also like the Lester Bangs, um, William Miller mm-hmm. stuff in this, like how people like relate to each other and and you know verbose people who who want to analyze stuff like saying you know the only true bank currency in this bankrupt world is the things you share with people in your own cool i think that line's a little overstated and i like the stuff that comes before but it a little bit better anyone can deliver it but it's a great it's a great it's a, it's a good way to summarize and people who talk characters who talk like that no one does that better than cameron crowe like he probably should write sitcoms with you know good good music you know going over the end like you guys have said but it's just I, again, and, and, and an interesting thing that Lee and I talked a little bit about on the quick fix, quick fix. But these, all these movies have had trouble in the sense that they are way too long when they start filming them. Which might be, I'm sorry, when they finish the first edit of them, which is probably true for a lot of movies. And then a lot gets cut out, and then you really feel that loss. And I actually felt that way watching Almost Famous. Um, because it wasn't the film that I remembered because I was so used to the other film, which I talked about with Lee yesterday. But I feel that, like, Aloha is that same way. Tomorrow. Like, you talked there, about Sorry, tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> that there's so many things kind of cut out of it and, like, you know, things weren't working. And I don't know. I, it's an interesting kind of, like, we always talk about things that directors are really good at. But you, you we very rarely talk about 
particular aspects of filmmaking that they're bad at and this might be a a a, 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 a place that camera crow just doesn't do well which is a process that you don't see a lot of um you don't really get a lot of information about the it, the difference with aloha was that it was part of the sony hack and so you had like you you have all these emails back and forth about the production that revealed a lot about what was going on and so um, it's kind of an insight, a little little lens, a little view into how that works um, in a process that we don't really get a lot of in, uh, insight to most of the time. Um, to answer your question about Cameron Crowe, Chapin, I mean, I think he's I, he's certainly not a great director, and I I unfortunately would say that he's not really a good director. I mean, it, it sounds worse to just say it bluntly like that. He's made a great movie, in my opinion, with Almost Famous. He's made a couple other good ones, and he's made a bunch of bad ones. I mean, there's a lot of directors out there like that. A lot of directors have made one good movie. You know, and we... For one some, great movie, though? Or one great movie. I think there's a lo- good amount of directors who've made one great movie. And, and, but I, for some reason, I feel like we're so fascinated by Cameron Crowe because... Well, he's, he's, you could still, see he's that, still an you auteur. Could, you know, he still well, you, writes movies from the heart. And I think you could also see the rise and fall of him. Yeah, that's you know, true. I, yeah. You know what I mean? You, you, you say anything. Again, I saw that movie years ago, and I know, Jeremy, you you, uh, you and Chapin, you both caught up with it, and I tried to watch a little bit of it today, and I was really enjoying it. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever seen singles. Jerry Maguire was one I always liked. Recently, I didn't feel the same way. Almost Famous, he hits his peak. And then a remake of Vanilla Sky crashes and burns with Elizabethtown, and then fucking We Bought a Zoo... Aloha, like it just, it feels Tiger like, King. <laughs> it feels like it was a rise and fall. And that's, that's fascinating. And I think that's where we get a little hung up on him as a director. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about Cameron Crowe. And despite saying all that, and despite him not making a great movie really since Almost Famous in 20 love years. to see what he has next. I want to see what he has next. I mean, I won't go out, r- rush out and see it if, if it gets bad reviews, because I haven't seen Aloha, I haven't seen We Bought a Zoo, um, basically anything after Elizabethtown. But which is only two if he movies. makes it, if he makes a good movie, I'll be there. If, yeah. if he makes a no, I, pretty good movie, I'll be there. I think that's smart. I mean, I I totally agree. I I, I like. I I feel like I talk too much shit about this movie. I don't think the Penny Lane character. I mean, I stand by what I said, but I don't think that that has a huge negative effect on the movie. I think this is a great movie and. I think, as we talked about, I think a couple about during the four weddings and a funeral quick fix. I I just am fascinated and admire filmmakers who make personal movies, and this may be the most personal movie. This happened to him in real life, almost verbatim. The I mean, he had to make up Stillwater, of course, and they're uh, an amalgam of a couple different bands. But this really happened to him, and he got to make a sixty million dollar movie telling that story. It's incredible, and I, I admire that kind of filmmaking. And I and I wonder. What goes wrong? I wonder what goes wrong where, you know, five or four short years later, you make a movie about the death of your father, which is an incredibly hard thing and an important moment in every person's life when they when they lose uh, uh, when they lose a, a parent and just makes a disaster of a movie. I, I don't know how you how that happens in four years and. It's, I mean, it's fascinating because I, lo- I would love to see what Elizabethtown looks like because I think Elizabethtown is also like a, a also dealing with like how the, the critical failure of Vanilla Sky. But 
I'd love to see what that would look like done well, like dealing with the loss of a the loss of a of a parent and the fail and and a um, a career failure in the same. I'd love to see that done right, and I admire him for trying to do it. I don't I don't admire the what what came out of it, but um, yeah, and maybe now he's spooked. Maybe yeah, I mean Shyamalan got spooked. You know? yeah, yeah, that was the twist ending of his life. <laughs> He's like, oh, 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 I'm going to make poop bad movies for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, you know, something else that really is, I don't know why it fascinates me, but it does every time I watch it, is just, I know we had, we've had conversations about Patrick Fugit and where we stand on his performance and, and Kate Hudson, but, like, the performances across the board in this movie – I think are just so good. I mean, Billy Crudup, I've never seen better, and I think he's good in a lot of things. Jason Lee is really good in this movie. I, I love Jason Lee. In this he's movie. so good. He's such a prick, but he plays yeah. it so well. Um, I mean, like all like Feruza Balk is really good. She delivers a couple monologues that are good. One that's really funny. One that's sort of a little bit more, I guess, tended to be like ironic but poignant. Um, Anna Paquin in her weird accent. Jimmy Fallon, as out of place as he is, is good. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's so good in this movie. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it kind of goes to the credit of Crow for being able to get across what he was trying to get across while he was filming it. Like, they're all on the same page. There's not one person that's kind of not understanding the tone of it. Because the tone of this movie is interesting because it's almost like it, it's Whimsical. both like light and whimsical at the same time as sort of serious dark and, and mysterious <laughs> and very and dangerous. funny like I, I, it's just and it's hard to capture that and keep it going consistently throughout the whole movie um which he does because you know there are some dark dark scenes i mean penny lane tries to essentially kill herself um when then patrick fugit rape kisses her <laughs> um while she's down and out uh, they even like they cut almost, to her not being able to stand in that yeah, exact they, scene they almost die on a plane crash like there's some dark stuff in this movie but it for some reason it strikes a pretty even tone that just works throughout uh, which is, I don't know how you do it. I think it, it's one of those lightning in a bottle. Maybe that's what we j- just got to accept. Except, this was yeah. a lightning in a bottle situation, and it all came together, and he had $30 million to spend on this rock music, which, 60, again, 60. is it was just the music. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's what the music cost? No, I'm just making that up, oh. that it was half the budget of the film. But, I think it was three I mean, and a half, I think is what I saw. Whatever whatever he had to spend on, on, on the rights to all these songs and know where to put them and to, ha- to understand where they fell in this timeline of um, the time period uh, and just how to show that show how he felt when he went through that in a much more whimsical way than it probably was like for him and it all just works yeah and that's why it's i mean this this has to be a top 10 movie of all time for me wow really oh yeah i mean i i love this movie and it's that feeling i get when i watch it and that's the thing that you can't quantify critically and it's kind of what i was trying to get at with my opening is that 
we're not talking about the cinematography of this movie. Which we're is not, really good, by the way. Which is which is fine. I noticed yeah. it this time. I paid attention. I think it's really good. Um, you know, we're not talking about this movie as in those sort of critical terms as much as or at least for me, as as the, how this movie made me feel and how it still makes me feel. And now part of it, it's taking me back to younger, my younger self. So that's added on top of it, to go back to Lee's analogy of the wine. Um, you know, whenever you open it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be aged a little bit more. And for me, this hasn't even come close to turning into vinegar. Nobody thought we'd do this. Nobody really thinks it will work, do they? No. You just described every great success story. All right, sorry, sorry. I know. Where's the thing? It's coming. Any second now. second now. Normally we do a top five. Lately we've been trying to do some games um, to varying degrees of success. Um, So today we're kind of combining the two of those. And I hope you guys have your pen and paper. You You have to keep track of what uh, movies you get on your team. Okay. So basically, this is like the NFL draft, or basically any sports draft, but the NFL draft's coming up. You guys remember sports out there? There was a ball and a couple teams, and uh, there was the highest of highs for the victor, the victors, like the Patriots. Most and of the, the ones lowest. that were around here, yeah. Yeah, the lowest of lows for uh, the Bucks and other teams like that. Yeah. Name one random. Yeah, just randomly our, pick our, one. Our ratings are low enough. We don't need people dropping off now. Okay, so basically how this is going to work is we're each going to go around and we're going to pick what our number one pick would be for coming-of-age movies and then go down the list. Your number two, your number three, your number four, your number five. But once somebody's picked it, it's off the ta- it's off the board. It's off the board, so you can't have it. And then at the end of this, we're going to have each five movies. We're going to put those on Instagram, uh, Lee's team, Chapin's team, Jeremy's team, and then you vote who has the best team. Who's going to win the coming-of-age coming Stanley of age. Cup? Yes. So, uh, who has first Lee's overall pick? Lee, I'm going to give it to you uh, because you understand okay. sports a little better, and oh, you can... Uh, you can you can announce it like you're the uh, commissioner of the NFL. Okay, well, with the first overall, with the first overall pick, and I'm Jeremy asked if we could do this if this was eligible. I wrote down this question: Is this the best coming of age story? I think my answer is yes. My number one pick, almost famous. Fuck, fuck, I, that was going to be my number one pick. Well, you could have had yourself list. go first. You literally were in charge. Chapin. Yeah. The Graduate. God damn it. All right, that leaves me with my number one overall pick, the third pick of the draft, Boyhood. Damn it. Got me one, you can have one ahead. Um, really, Chapin? Well, you weren't as high on that movie. I don't care as. for that film. Big deal. Oh, I shot it over 12 years. 
God, someone is mad about the penny line thing. <laughs> all right, Lee, what um, do you got? All right, I gotta, I gotta rethink because you guys took probably what would have been my two and three. Not that I expected them to be there. So you know what's weird about this is that I think I'm trying to win, win, but it wouldn't like I know that my real heart of heart list would not win. So well, you got to do your heart of heart list, Chapin. Yeah, it's your time. list. Well, the graduate would still be my number one. Okay, okay, that's good. Um, all right, uh, okay. Man. How is blue is the warmest color a coming of age? Coming. Chapin, <laughs> <laughs> palm door. On the palm door. Um, man, I don't. I'm worried. I this. Uh, I get. That's a little recency bias there. Um, oh, just go. You know, Chapin, this is not just as easy as you're on the you clock, know, Lee. You're yeah, on how the much, clock. How much time do we have? You got 30 seconds from before, so you got 10 seconds. <laughs> Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Jabin's going to get your one. pick. I'm going to use it all. American Graffiti. Oh, really? Okay. That's way down on my list. But... Oh, really? Yeah. So good. All right, so Lee got American Graffiti and Chapin. You're on the clock. Thirty seconds. Okay, so I'm just doing this because I want to win. But what would your next one really be? Dazed and Confused. Ooh, okay. Really, I don't like that movie. You can well, have it. A lot of link later. You ha- when was the last time you saw it, Lee? Uh, it's been a while. That's what I thought. But yeah, two link later mo- movies already on this list. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next pick is. Uh, would have been my the fourth ranking. Had him at the fourth draft spot. It's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Thought about that one. I don't know if it was gonna make it though. Um, man, I. <laughs> I like I mean, how stressed you're getting about it, Lee. I am, and look, this was this was <laughs> I was considering this. I'm glad I I held on this so. I, I can I can get it later down in the drafts. Um, and again, maybe this is some recency bias, but it was a fixie nominee for me. Eighth grade. Okay, it's on my it's on my list, but it's on your it's on your draft sheet. It's on my draft sheet. I scouted it. <laughs> yeah. You Shaping scouted. You seconds. scouted eighth grade girls. This <laughs> guy had to go to the to the school. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with uh, Lady Bird. God damn it. Right. I knew I should have taken that. Wow. Um, so this one's a controversial pick, I think. But I, I think it qualifies. <laughs> Irreversible? It's, <laughs> it's Badlands. No, yeah. that's not controversial. I think that's great. I mean, Sissy Spacek is the coming of age bit there, yes, right? Yes, it's yeah. Sissy Spacek. Yeah, not Martin Sheen. Um... Man, I just, you know, El Revoir Les Enfants. I was wondering if somebody was going to do the 400 Blues. Such good picks, you know? Uh, I could steal this one from Jeremy, but I, I feel like I wouldn't be being honest with myself. Um, but it might be. You got to 10 seconds. Come on, Lee. E tu mama tambien. Oh, damn it. That was my next pick. Ah, I knew it. Glad I got it. Glad I got it in. You could have traded up, Jeremy. (laughs) All right, Chapin, you're up. Uh, I'm going to go with... Number seventh overall pick goes to... 
Call Me By Your Name. Oh, see, I haven't oh, seen okay. it. Okay, you like you like that uh, coming of age story, don't <laughs> you? I've seen what you do with your fruits. What? You don't remember that scene? Uh, the peach. Oh, all oh, right. I saw it recently, so that's he, he remembers the me. peach scene. He saw the peach scene recently. All right, Jeremy. Um, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna make a, a last second switch here, and I'm gonna go with super bad. Oh, you motherfucker! My next pick. That was my number five pick. All right, your number man. five pick. Um, man, I'm looking at basically two here. Last picture show. Ooh, I that wasn't even. I didn't even consider that. So good. We don't talk about Bogdanovich uh, very much. No. We should do a Bogdanovich retrospective. Uh, all right. Chapin, you're up. I'm going to go... Um, you know, we think of coming of age as kind of like high school, but I'm actually going to go a little older. Knocked up. Ah, uh, yeah. Knocked I like that. Knocked up. Okay, um, and for my number five pick, I'm going to go with, it's going to be a little bit pretentious, but I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with Minding the Gap. I like that. That's a good pick. Should we keep going? Uh, Do you... No, let's do do the five. Let's uh, right. let's read them out and see uh, what everyone has here. Oh right. shit! Was I supposed to be keeping track of that? Yes, I said get your pens at the beginning. I oh. have your. I fortunately wrote yours down too, Chapin. Thank you. Au revoir, les enfants. All right, Lee. What are your? What's your team consist uh, of? I'm happy with it. Almost famous, American Graffiti, Eighth Grade, Itu Mama Tambien, and The Last Picture Show. That's a good variety. Yeah. Those are good movies. I could watch those five. It's a good desert and then, island. And then Lee, what was Chapin's <laughs> picks? <laughs> the Graduate, Dazed and Confused, Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name, and Knocked Up. Great. And uh, my five are Boyhood, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Badlands, Super Bad, and Minding the Gap. Um, All right, yeah. now it goes so, to a vote. Yeah. To see so which team is the victor. Any undrafted free agents that you guys were left with? Yeah, uh, a bunch. Little Women was the next one to go for oh, me. Oh, that's okay. a great one. That's a great one. Mo- Moonlight was going to be my next pick. Um, and Good. Education. Yeah, that was on my list. Adventureland. Also on my list. The Sandlot. Not on my list. Did you Did you just say an Education? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just really need to see that again. Uh, the Breakfast Club, I'm surprised, is not on any of our lists because that's sort of the quintessential yeah, John yeah. Hughes. You know, one. I just wonder how much that movie just hasn't really aged well for me. Um, I don't know that John Hughes has totally. A little I bit mean, of John Hughes in uh, Say Anything. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, there is. Say Anything was funny to watch after having watched High Fidelity recently. Yeah, oh, totally. There's a, <laughs> yeah, there's to- a lot that they yeah. purposely... Not just, just, right, right, not right. just actors, but... <laughs> yeah, the rain shit. Um, yeah. I have a couple. Um, My Girl, 
Yep. Oh yeah, sure. Um, That's a good movie. That is a good movie. Uh, the Squid and the Whale, kind of. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, I do have four hundred blows on my list. I, always, I do too. I, 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 I have four hundred blows I and or I had a Francois Truffaut phase early in college. We all did. I think we all did. Yeah. yeah. Um, You're required to. <laughs> Rushmore. Um, that's another one. Yeah, had Spirited Away, um, thirteen. Catherine Hardwick's movie, Francis Ha. Um, yeah, and I had Four Hundred Blows and Au Revoir Les Enfants, but I just felt like, you know, you wanted to win. Do I also? Do I really remember those movies? I've never even seen Au Revoir Les Enfants. It's good. I I took a Louis Mal class in college, so I've seen most of his movies. Well, there you have it. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. If you want to vote on who has the best team, go to Instagram, uh, search Get Your Film Fix. Uh, we'll be there. Or feedback at getyourfilmfix.com. Um, and you get can just email us. Sorry, getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. That's feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. And you can just email us who you think has the best team. Uh, until next time. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.